You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. I always like it when um, the passage is read out earlier on in the service because it it means I've got a bit more time (laughs) with you here. That's great. So we are looking at James chapter 2. If you want to um, turn to it, you may, or if you want to click on your phones and find it, James chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along in in a Bible and you haven't got one, there are Bibles in the little plastic um, zippy bags on the tables as well. So James chapter 2 is where we are at today, um, starting from verse 14. I won't read it again, but you've got it there with you um, to flick your eyes back and forth as I go through. And I'll be referring to, to pieces of that body of scripture as I go through James chapter 2. All right, so this is continuing our sermon series on James, um, who we learned um, a, a week or two ago was the brother of Jesus. And the book of James is a collection of his teachings. He was one of the church leaders in the church in Jerusalem, the first Christian church. Then we can read about what happened with him in the book of Acts and things as well. And today's sermon follows on from one Clive did um, just the other week um, called No Favorites. Now, if you want to keep following all of this, do check out the church website to get some catch-ups and piece all the bits together. Um, But James challenges us to not show favoritism to certain types of people. He warns us not to draw distinctions and say, oh, well, that person's my kind of person. I I can get on with them, but oh, that person makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I I don't really want to relate to them. And he uses the example of um, rich people and poor people and how sometimes we can favor the wealthy person and, oh, here, have a good seat. Why don't you sit in the best seat in the house? And the poor person, he said, well, you kind of shun them in the corner and say, well, we don't want you. You just sit in the corner because you're not as important as the wealthy person. Um, But, of course, that's just an example. We should treat and honor everybody equally in the same way. That's what he's getting at here. Nobody is more or less worthy of God's love, and therefore nobody is more or less worthy of our love either. And this bit follows on from that. And so today we're looking at genuine faith. Genuine faith. Now, James doesn't pull any punches here. He, he gets straight down to it. And yeah, some of, it, some of it might hurt. I'm going to warn you today, all right? It's like we sung earlier on. We were saying, your love calls me deeper. He calls me deeper. And I think for some of us today, this might be one of these calls to go deeper with God. We might be challenged this morning. Now, thinking about faith, 
and what is faith and genuine faith, I was reminded of a verse that we had to memorize as part of Bible school when I was at university. I also did um, a Bible school with the church I was at there. And one of the verses we had to measure, I was like, oh yeah, memorize, was one about faith. Um, from Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'll read that again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's the New King James Version. That's the version that we used when I was at university. Um, but if we look at Hebrews 11, we see that there are examples of faith mentioned straight after that. This is what faith is. Here are some examples. Let me show you how it works, basically. And they mention a whole list of people. Abel brought a better offering than Cain. Noah, in holy fear, built the ark. Abraham, well, he got up and he left to go and find the promised land without knowing where he was going. And he also settled there and built his home there afterwards. Sarah had a child. And it goes on and on. And in today's verse, if you notice, today's passage, we also have examples presented to us. Verse 20-ish, around there, 2021, 20, Abraham, it says. Abraham was considered righteousness for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. We also given Rahab as an example of what she did as she rescued some of the Israelite spies who went to spy out the land. Um, and she lowered them down in a basket, didn't she? Out of the walls of Jericho. What do we notice about these examples? Well, the, the thing I notice, which kind of drives home the point of the passage today, they did something. They did something. They lowered spies out of a wall in a basket. They got up and left their home because God had told them to. They built an ark. They did something. Circling back to that verse that I had to memorize in Bible school, Hebrews 11, verse 1, the message translation puts it like this, and it kind of picks up some of these things for us. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It is our handle on what we cannot see. The act of faith is what distinguishes our ancestors and sets them above the crowd. The act of faith. 
Now, faith is a solid belief in God and his ability to save and to provide. And despite the circumstances around us may appear to be. But that's not all that faith is. I originally come from Zimbabwe. Now, okay, it's not a Western country. There is a massive Western influence, especially in the south of Africa. I don't know if some of my North African contemporaries here might, might have a different experience, I don't know. But there's, there's a massive Western influence and you get this interesting mix between African and, and Western and it kind of bashes together. But something I've noticed is the Western church focuses a lot on intellect, focuses a lot on the mind, the brain, and thinking. We somehow believe that if we only knew more, that we would be better Christians. If only we went on another course, if only we watched another YouTube video, if only we read another book or listened to another sermon, then we will be better Christians. Now, I write books. I preach sermons. They're not bad in themselves. In fact, they're very helpful and very necessary. But if all we are doing is stuffing our brains with information and not using it for anything, it's pointless. We become fat heads, yeah? And become a fat load of good to anyone. Brother Jung, a persecuted preacher from the Chinese church, and in his book called The Heavenly Man, he says, if you truly want to see God move, the main things you must do is learn the word of God and have the obedience to do what God tells you to do. Or put another way, from our passage today, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. This whole sermon series we're looking at, looking at the book of James, we've called it Faith That Works. Faith That Works. Now, on one level, it speaks of a belief in God that works because we are saved by faith. Yet on another level, our works are the evidence for our faith because it's a faith that actually does the work. It's faith that works, not faith that thinks or whatever. Let's not get confused though. Salvation is a free gift of God. You can't do things to earn God's love. He loves you. He died for you. You can accept that freely. You can't do anything to earn that salvation. It's a free gift of grace. But 
Once we accept this free gift of grace, you see the whole point of it is to surrender our lives to Jesus. And because of this, things in our lives will begin to change. And it was great that earlier on in the service, we prayed, change us. Change us, Lord. Now, before Jesus, we were living in a sinful and selfish state. With Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves or do things our way. We have chosen to do things his way. So things will begin to change. If we are following Jesus and things have not started to change in our lives, if we are simply doing exactly the same things in the same way that we did them before Jesus, we need to double check that we are actually following him. That we have actually surrendered our lives to his will and his ways. Because if we have, things will begin to change. Now, it's a gradual process, okay? You don't say, yes, I surrender my life to you, Jesus, and then, bing, everything, all of life completely whew, becomes completely and utterly different in the blink of an eye. It doesn't work like that. Actually, I think the Holy Spirit is very gracious. And he picks maybe one or two things and says, okay, let's start working on this. And it takes a bit of time and you might have to wrestle with it a bit. Sometimes, sometimes you might go, oh yeah, well that, that's quite an easy thing for me to change. And so that, that was fairly, fairly straightforward, that particular thing. So you can tick that box. But once you've achieved that, the Holy Spirit says, oh, well, okay, well done. Now let's have a look at this area. And you go, oh, okay, that's a bit more tricky. That's going to take a lot of extra work and time and effort and prayer. And I might circle around this mountain a few times before I actually get there. But change is what happens. Some of Jesus' teaching explains this by putting it in a different way. We all know the story of the wise and foolish builders, hopefully. Um, they appear in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the most common one, I think, in my opinion. We also see it happen occur in Luke chapter 6. Now, when I was at Sunday school, um, there was a little song. You might know it. The wise man built his house upon. Do you know this one? Wise man built. How's it go? On the road. The wise man built his And the. Yeah, and the waves came up and the road. Yeah, you know that. Okay, good. All right. So, we're familiar with the story. And I find that sometimes familiarity. Um, can often cloud what is actually being said. So for years, and, and on one level, it does say this, okay? But for years, I thought it was teaching me that if I had faith, if I believed in Jesus, 
I would be okay. If I didn't have faith in Jesus, my life would crumble, or indeed on judgment day, my spirit would ultimately be dashed on the rocks, be damned, whatever. So basically, trust in Jesus as your foundation stone, your solid rock, and you'll be all right. And on, and on some levels, that, that, that works, but let's have a look more closely. Let's look at verse, Luke 6, verses 46 to 49, because it teaches us stuff about genuine faith, which is what we're looking at today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you do it? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck, that house it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Notice both groups of people hear Jesus's words. Both groups. Both groups are intellectually fed. They might have even felt a little inspired by what they heard. Maybe they felt even a bit challenged. Both groups hear the same words from Jesus. They've heard the same sermons. But the difference comes in the action. Those who act upon what they have heard Jesus say and those who don't. James is hitting this point home for us in today's passage in his letter. He says, faith without works, faith without actions is dead. It's a dead faith. It's a fake faith. We need to be hearers of the word, yes, otherwise we won't know what it says, but we also need to be doers. Genuine faith demands both. We sung earlier a song about taking Jesus to our world, going out and sharing Jesus with others. Now, I heard a funny story a while ago, and I'll try and repeat the best I can here. There was a, a lovely Christian couple, and they had just moved in to a new house, a new home, and they said to each other, wouldn't it be great if we could witness to our neighbors and, and, and win them for Jesus, that would be fantastic. So they both agreed, yes, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll be kind, we'll do great, you know, wonderful things. Christmas, we'll, we'll go and give them a Christmas present. And when it was bin day, the husband would take the bins of the neighbor out as well. And, 
you know, this sort of thing. Oh, I'll, I'll lend you our lawnmower, or I'm cutting my front lawn, would you like me to cut yours as well? This, this kind of thing. These little actions. And it went on for a while and, and nothing. And they were thinking, you know, are these actions really helping us to witness, to show Jesus to our, to our next door neighbors? Then after about a year, the day came when the, the, the next door neighbor started walking up the drive and the guy thought, oh, this is it. This is the moment. You know, he's, we're going to have the conversation. I could, you know, I could tell him about Jesus. And he comes and he knocks on the door and he says, what, what is it about you? There's something different about you and about the way that you do things and about the way that you behave. He says, tell me, are you vegetarians? <laughs> Ha, didn't quite go as the chap was hoping. Here they had the actions, but they didn't have the words. Both need to go together. It's not about works on their own. We need to declare our faith, but it's also not by faith alone. As James says in verse 18, I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's how I'll show you my faith, by what I do. Not by what I say, or what I say I'm going to do. By what I actually do. Elsewhere, the Bible says that we can know the root of a person's heart, or of their motives, by their fruit. Or... In other words, by the things that they do. Because this will reveal, this will show us what's actually in their heart. Faith is revealed and embodied and made alive through our actions. Coming back to the verse that we used in the offering earlier on this morning. Referring to Abraham, unpacking this example of Abraham's actions that demonstrated his faith. Verse 22 says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So I want to end this morning by asking a question. Now, I, I don't expect you to give an answer. <laughs> Just answer it for yourself. While I've been speaking, what nerve has the Holy Spirit been putting his finger on? What part of your life is getting prodded I know he has a finger on a couple of places in my heart. I know I need to work with him on a few things and, and deal with those. I know that some of the things I do and think and say are not in obedience to God. I have heard the sermons and read the books but in those areas, I know I'm not walking the way I should. 
in those parts I'm hearing but I'm not doing. So I wonder what areas of your lives need addressing like mine. So what we're going to do is we're just going to take a few moments now and we're just going to pray just where we are. Jesus, we ask that you help us to follow you with our whole selves. Please help us to have genuine faith. Lord, we know that to have this genuine faith, we need to believe, but we also need to act. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us to act on what you say to us, on the word that you've given us in the Bible. And Lord, we just bring to you these areas of our lives that you've been highlighting to us this morning. Lord, we're sorry that we have not been doing things your way. Forgive us for trying to do it our way or continue to do how we always used to do it before you. Help us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your power. We can't do it without you. Help us to be doers of your word. In the words of Jesus, we say, not my will, but your will be done. Amen.